welcome in. My name is Simone Mercer-Huggins. I am an investor and trader, and so far I've built over seven figures from the ground up. And now this community is doing the same. The Ms. Wealthy movement is here to share tools, resources, strategies, and support on all things financial freedom. Tune in for everything money, investing, mindset, trading, and everything in between. If you want to be a powerful player in the wealth creation game, you're in the right place. So welcome to the Kiss My Money podcast. Quick disclaimer before we jump in, all content provided by Ms. Wealthy and the Kiss My Money podcast is for education purposes only. Any use or reliance on this content is entirely at your own risk. This is all factual information and general comment only. These are my opinions and should be taken as such. Everything does not take into account your personal objectives, situation needs, and it may not be appropriate for you. Okay, now that we got the lawyer spiel out of the way, let's dive in. So welcome to the simple eight steps to start investing and build wealth. I am holding nothing back in this training. My name is Simone. If you are new around here, uh, I started investing 13 years ago. Well, over that now, I started literally with nothing. In fact, less than nothing. I was deep, 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 deep in debt. And um, last year we crossed over a million dollar portfolio. I manage all of our assets um, and now I teach women to invest as well. I also trade. So it, it, that just basically means I know a shit ton about the stock market. I used to work in the financial industry and I saw how corrupt and just horrible it is for from, from the inside. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the 30 second story. <laughs> if you want to know more, just head to the podcast or send me a DM. I'm quite chatty um, and I love kind of hearing from you. Okay. So are you ready for the first step? So the first thing and the absolute first thing for anything is to have your money management down pat. And I would really like to say that it wasn't as, you know, it's not as boring as that, but the reason you need to have those financial foundations of knowing how to manage money is it's kind of like the cornerstone of why you need to invest with knowing how to manage everything else. Because if you start investing and you don't know how to manage money, when you hit that first $10,000 in your investment portfolio, $100,000 in your investment portfolio and beyond, then if you don't know how to manage money and if you ever get into a kind of a a situation where you're like oh my god i have this ten thousand dollar car bill or whatever and it's an emergency or something happens and you're in a position where everything you have is in the stock market or everything you have is in and it really doesn't matter regardless of the investment if you invest in crypto or if you invest in property it's all the same if it's locked up in an investment then and you don't have really great knowledge of how to just manage money day to day, then you're going to be forced to make a decision that maybe isn't great for you at the time. If the stock market is down that month, for example, and you need to take that money out, then you're in this position when you're forced into a rock and a hard place. And I don't want anyone here to ever be in that position. So a lot of this kind of like the fear and the worry about investing being risky, really the only side of of it is 
if you have to take money out. Um, and if you shoehorn yourself into this corner of having to take your investments out because all of your cash is tied up into it, right? Um, so essentially knowing how to manage your money day to day and also having a bunch of money sitting aside in an overflow account just in case. So you might have heard this be called an emergency fund. I don't love to call it that because if you know me well, you probably know that I'm a complete energy nut, very much into quantum physics and manifestation, and I don't want to manifest an emergency, and I don't want anyone here to manifest an emergency either. So what that means is you can call it something else, like an overflow account, like a you know excess funds or money just because or whatever, so that you are never in a position where you are forced to to essentially take money out of the market. Now, there's heaps of guidelines. People say three to six months. I'm going to be honest with you. This is a really personal thing. And I am going to believe in you because you are the best person to manage your money. I do not have three to six months of expenses. I think it's overkill. Uh, I'm in a situation where I have a lot of other options that if if we ever get into a crazy situation that we have to pull expenses, then we could do some other stuff. I I don't want to, but I would because I don't want to have that much money sitting in cash. Now, for some people, I have a friend, beautiful friend, and she, for her, she needs $100,000 in cash to feel secure without not touching that and anything else can go into investments. Now, to me, $100,000 in cash is a lot of money sitting there not earning you money, right? But it's different for everyone and there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, And this is why personal finance is so personal. It really is just so incredibly personal. So if you take anything away from this, I want you to take away that whatever decision you make for you is correct for you because you're the one making it. You're the one that has to live with it. And don't, please don't let anyone ever tell you that it's the wrong thing. So when it comes to money management, the the question around um, if I have debt, can I invest? And the answer is 100% absolutely yes. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) So I could talk about this for hours and literally every single step is probably like four hours of content. But essentially, if you start investing when you have debt, it means that you actually get into the game. For example, last year, the stock market returned 30 to 40%. And if you have 4% of debt return, you're missing literally out on 35% in that year. Now, that's not that doesn't happen every year, but it just goes to show you that there's no hard line rule of you can't invest if you have over 6% debt interest, for example. That's just not the case. I would prefer everyone to get comfortable, build the habit, get used to it, and start getting that confidence because confidence comes from confidence, which comes from just a repetition of starting to invest, even if it's small amounts, because that feeling of like, holy crap, I'm an investor. I'm building wealth. I'm like literally creating my financial independence and freedom. Then that means you're going to feel better. You're going to want to pay that debt off probably faster. You're going to think about more creative ways. You're going to be 
way more productive around things that are actually helpful around your money rather than being stuck in this, I still have to get to zero dollar balance, right? That's probably one of my regrets. I paid off my debt to to zero, but I had a really low interest debt, like when I was paying off my $40,000 of debt. Um, But I could have started investing way earlier. And I just, I let that stop me because I had a lot of shame around my debt and you know, energetically that can be a lot. So can you invest with debt? Yes, absolutely. And you can start with small amounts. Wealth is so much more than money, like so much more than money. And like the numbers that you put on a spreadsheet or, um, the ROI you get, which is return on investment. It's so much, so much more than that. Money is there for your goals. Money is there for you to experience life. It's there for you to have, Um, an emotional experience, right? So you investing at the same time, I I can't explain to you the impact of starting to invest on your psychology and on your energy and on your emotional state. It changes how you feel about yourself. It changes how you feel about your future. And that in turn has a huge impact effect on the rest of your life you feel better you are more confident you feel safer you are not in this like nervous system reaction of emotional stress all the time because let's be honest going from paycheck to paycheck every single week or month and being in a constant state of fuck (laughs) what am i going to do there's not enough money that is stressful you guys And if anyone here has ever been there, I know that most of you, at least some of you have been there. I certainly have. It is stressful and we cannot make informed, creative, open uh, decisions or even think strategically when we're in that constant straight state of stress and the effect of that on your nervous system and on your emotions and on therefore the decisions you make and the actions you take is huge has such a huge impact on you, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about your future, and then how you act and what you do for the rest of your life. So to me, I love both. And it doesn't have to be huge amounts. I'm not saying like take everything you'd pour into paying off your debt and put it into investing, but I love doing both, particularly if you've wanted to get in the game for ages. And, you know, say if you have a debt payoff plan and you kind of estimate that maybe you're going to be paid off your debt in two years. Well, that's still two years where you can start, get the knowledge, start investing, build up your confidence, keep going like, and get regular at it because that's going to be so much more powerful in two, three, four, five years time by starting earlier. So if you're someone that's like, why does money have to be so hard? It actually does not have to be so hard. The method I use is the percent method. You might have heard of it be referred to as the bucket method or um, the uh, the like separate envelope method. It's called different things. It's been around literally for centuries. Everyone comes up with it and calls it something else. Um, everyone has their own kind of name. If you love spreadsheets, then amazing. Good for you. <laughs> Super happy for you. <laughs> Um, it doesn't work for everyone. And if that's you, then I highly encourage a, 
the percentage model because it, it actually means that it grows with you and you can just even if it's you put away one percent of your income into your financial freedom account which then goes towards investing and you invest at every month or every three months or whatever and then you can gradually increase those percentages right um, it's really not about like the hardline number it's more about getting you used to it and you becoming really great at managing your money because it's the cornerstone of how you're going to become successful right okay number two is mindset uh super important and this is where i see probably most people derail and it's things like fomo um fear of stopping them fear of completely fucking up because the questions that i see come with investing most of the time actually has to do with mindset and am i going to miss out on the dip is it too late to invest i think it's too late for me to start because i'm late 30s or i'm early 40s um there's not enough time i don't have enough money most of those things are actually mindset i'm worried about losing money mindset um I'm worried about the stock market crashing or I sold all of my investments because the stock market crashed mindset. <laughs> Most of the time people don't actually see it as mindset, but it, it actually is. And knowing how to navigate that most people don't actually identify it's very hard to actually see yourself, right? It's how can you be objective? But this whole kind of uh, idea around buying low or selling high or trying to time the market, trying to time the market is probably the biggest mistake most people make and it's a mindset thing and so the reason this is so important is because i could give you all of the strategy in the world i could give you every single step which i'm literally giving you now but it's not going to work if you don't have a mindset of that is okay with weathering the volatility that happens in the market and it does and the only reason that we don't see this the up and down volatility with the house market is because our property is a very slow moving asset right it's not very liquid you can't sell a house in literally a second and there's not trillions of dollars of like just a few companies in existence so there's one house, right? And you it gets sold every, what, five to 10 years, maybe. So you're not seeing minute by minute changes with property. And this is the only reason that the stock market is seen to be more volatile. It's because we're seeing minute by minute changes. And there are trillions of dollars uh, in the stock market. So there's a lot of money moving around. So uh, again, I could talk about mindset like forever because it's so important, but this is actually really why having a, a community really matters and be like having someone like the people around you that really get it, particularly in those moments when all you're seeing is the news cycle and the TV and everyone's talking about how the stock market is crashing and now we're in a recession and it's going to take years for us to get out of this and all these jobs are lost and maybe you did lose your job too in it right this certainly happened last year and it's kind of currently happening still at the moment in the end of 2021 and so that is a massive factor on how you're going to act it, it dictates your actions 
So having people around you that really get it, uh, having people around you to kind of bring you back down to this is very normal. <laughs> like as much as the circumstances around 2020 and Corona um, were not normal, the reaction with the stock market, very normal. In fact, we were pretty much overdue for a correction. The last one before that was 2008. It's, it's a very normal cycle. The stock market does go up and down. Moving on to number three, is your goal. And this is is different for everyone. And also the basis of pretty much every question you will ask. Because my question back will be, what do you want? And you might be investing for retirement. You might be investing for your kid's college fund. You might be investing because you want to fast track saving for a property and you want to take the money out of the stock market and buy property. You might be investing because you want to take the money out and use it as passive income every month. You might be investing because you want to go on an extravagant holiday every year and you want to start putting those foundations in now because you know... Obviously, the stock market makes you way more money than a savings account. Um, So your goal is going to be completely different to everyone. The assumption is you're investing for retirement, but that's not always the case. So a lot of people do ask me, um, can I just can I just get passive income? And yes, you absolutely can. You can use it as passive income. You just need a larger amount of capital, a larger investment base to take money out regularly because obviously if you're taking the money out, you still need the money there to keep growing. Now, I will say that the way that you make the most money in the stock market is by leaving it. And by letting it grow. So most of your returns is actually from capital growth. So the the stock growing or your portfolio growing in value rather than dividends. But you can invest in different ways. You can most certainly invest in income producing assets, which is sometimes stocks. It sometimes can be what is called a real estate investment trust. R-E-I-T, and you know, you invest in that on the stock market. And those things, or like dividend stocks, and so those things pay you money, essentially to say, well, you've got your money in there and they it only grows like a portion. Sometimes it goes up and down, but pretty much sideways. And the, the purpose is to pay you a dividend or to pay you an income. Um, so think of if you had a property and you received rental payments, it's exactly the same with a real estate investment trust. It's just traded on the stock market. So you're in a fund with a bunch of other people, essentially, rather than having to save up $200,000 to buy, you know, to have a deposit for a house, right? Or deposit for a commercial property. So you get rent from the tenants. So you can invest in multiple different ways. Um, you can also invest in bonds that pay you income, but bonds don't pay you a lot. So dividend stocks tend to be the one that pays you an income and they tend to be things like like boomer companies, like banks who are, you know, they're here, they're not going anywhere, they're pretty much government backed and the focus isn't to grow or be the next Tesla, Google, Facebook, Apple, like they're just here and they're stable and that's why they're a dividend company. Whereas 
other companies are like Facebook, Google, Tesla, um, Apple. They're here to like literally disrupt industries, be innovators. And that's why we see such insane growth, particularly in the, the tech market. Anyway, that was a tangent. But the point is your goal is going to be so different to everyone else. So when if you were to come to me and say, Simone, what do I invest in? My response is going to be, hey, what do you want? <laughs> because that will dictate what you invest in and that will dictate how you invest. There's obviously lots of other factors too, like how much money you're investing, um, how much money you start with. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just it helps us go, okay, well, you could do this or you could do that. Um, but essentially, what do you want? And there are so many options that it's it's it really is up to you. And there's no, again, there's no right or wrong answer. Okay, so number four, and this is kind of the second portion of, of what I would ask you if you came to me and said, what do I invest in? And how do I invest? The two questions I will ask is that first one I just asked, what do you want? What is your actual goal? What's the point of you investing? And then the second one is, what is your risk tolerance? And it's just a fancy saying. It kind of sounds really dry and boring. I know. I I get it. Like I said, I used to work in the finance industry. (laughs) A lot of the terms are really dry and boring. But it's essentially like how much risk you're prepared to take on or how much risk your mindset is prepared to weather. So, for example, everyone knows what crypto is, right? And even if you don't invest in it, you probably have seen how much it goes up and down, like the volatility, like the extreme peaks, like it can easily lose 50, 60, 70, 80 percent within like a week that's how extreme it is and we don't see that kind of reaction in the stock market that doesn't happen but we don't also don't see the two three four hundred percent returns and growth in the stock market either so with that extreme risk with with crypto you also see um the extreme growth but i mean you could easily lose half of the value of your portfolio within a couple of days with crypto and that doesn't happen with stocks but everyone is different when it comes to the stock market you might be someone that is like i can't handle seeing my portfolio move up and down like a lot or i can't handle um another crash because if i see my portfolio drop by 20 percent, which easily happens in a crash then i will like completely lose it i'll I'll just, I won't be able to handle it. Now, it's important to note here that just because it, it dips in a crash by 20%, that doesn't mean that you've lost money. And most of the time, this is really confused, like quite a lot of in a crash, oh my God, I've lost money. You've never, ever, ever, ever lost money unless you sell that investment. And it's the same with property. Most of the time, property goes up and down and you know, it flatlines or it loses 20% in a year or whatever. But you have, unless you've sold that property, you haven't lost anything. The value of it's gone down and the expected return has gone down like temporarily. But unless you sell, you've lost nothing, right? Because the money is still in the market. It will recover. It 
always does, and I really want to stress that strongly, the market always recovers. It's never not recovered. Like it's what the economy is actually built on. The economy is built on the stock market, which is built on banks and governments investing in it. Do you know what happens when you invest your $10, $20, your $100, $200, your $1,000, $2,000, your $10 or $20,000 in the bank? They invest in the stock market. <sighs> That's what they do. So they're investing your money and getting a higher return. That's how they make the bulk of their money and from credit cards as well. Um, and you're getting, what, 0.5% maybe if you're lucky. So the, the risk of what you actually want to invest in is up to you, but everyone is different. You might be in your 20s and be like, uh-uh, I'm really conservative in how, in how I want to invest. I want to take it really like, it doesn't matter. I'm happy to sacrifice higher returns, but I, I don't want to see much ups and downs. I just want it to be really smooth. You're not going to get massive returns that way, but it means it's also not going to dip a lot. You might be someone who's like, look, I'm investing for 20 to 30 years, probably even 40 years. I am more than happy to like, whatever. There's going to be a bunch of crashes in that time, but I also know I'm going to make eight, nine, 10, 11, 12% returns year on year. And on the rebound of a crash, it's going to be like 20%, 30%. That's fine. I'm totally fine with that. I'm not going to touch it. I just keep putting money in. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to take it out for like decades. I'm not even going to look at it. Who cares? If you're that person, you're going to see really high returns, but your portfolio is also going to fluctuate a lot in crashes, which is very normal. So everyone is different. And if you have a really high risk tolerance, then for you, you're a completely different investor to someone who has a really low risk tolerance. And age can pay, play a factor. But I have members in Investing Bootcamp that are in their 60s that have a really high risk tolerance. And I have members that are in their 30s and have a really low risk tolerance, which is why I don't love target date funds and why you can't say, like, if you're this age, then this is your risk tolerance. That's just not the case. Um, age can play a factor, but it doesn't have to. Your risk tolerance is made up of a couple of things. I'm just going to quickly name them. Your age can play a factor. Your current income and what you expect. So if you're a mom of four, you're going to have a different risk tolerance to someone who is double income household, no kids. But a big part of it is how you actually feel about the stock market. And you're seeing how everything here is linked, right? <laughs> you're seeing how your mindset is so linked to um, your risk tolerance. There is risk in everything in life. There's risk with crossing the road. There's risk with getting on a plane. There's risk with stepping outside and <laughs> getting a virus. Like there's risk with everything and we all take them. And I would say that most of the risks that a lot of us take have higher risk, meaning like you could get hit by a car. That's a bigger deal than your portfolio going down for a couple of months, right? Anytime you ask me, what do I invest in? My question will be, what do you want? And what is your risk tolerance? Because I can't guide you to 
how you'd want to invest if we don't know those two things. And those two things can only come from you. Those two things inform what to invest in. And here, essentially, I'm going to give you the super shortcut answer and I'm going to go into a little bit of detail. If you are new to this, if you've never thought about investing, if you haven't, if you know zero things about the industry, about investing, about wealth creation, about any of it, this is going to sound like jargon. This is going to sound super scary and confusing and it's not meant to. It's just that for those that have a little bit more knowledge or are kind of a little bit more familiar, this might make sense. And if it doesn't, that's, that's absolutely still okay. Now, when it comes to what to invest in, picking stocks is a fool's game most of the time. And most people don't want to hear that, <laughs> but most of the time, very few people know how to pick stocks and choose individual stocks. Um, in fact, even professionals that do it, uh, 95 to 96% of them do not outperform the market. And when I say the market, I mean index funds or ETFs. So if professionals that are paid and have a full-time job of trying to outperform the market, if only 4% of them year on year can do it, that means the average person that doesn't spend their entire day choosing individual companies to invest in are not going to be able to do it successfully. And it's not what most people want to hear because everyone here wants to pick a winner. We all want to pick the next Google or Facebook or whatever. But unfortunately, most people just, we don't have that ability because the way that index funds and ETFs work is they track the top performing companies from a quant based perspective. So literally like market cap and performance. And if the top companies are not the top companies anymore, they fall out of the index fund and the next top company gets put in. And that's happening constantly, all of the time. And we have things to do. We have a life. We can't be doing that. (laughs) We have like a job or a business to run or, um, you know, kids to take care of. We can't literally dictate or replicate what index funds are doing in that way. And because of that, and it being so time consuming, This is why so few people actually beat index funds. So that doesn't mean that you can't invest in individual companies. I think if you have an interest in single companies, then definitely invest in them, but just make it a small portion of your entire portfolio. So invest in indexes or ETFs as a majority, and then invest in a, you know, a couple of Uh, individual companies if you want to and if you have a really strong interest in a strong pull I would never say like don't ever do them and don't touch them because if you have an interest in it then you're going to be more encouraged to be more invested in it emotionally and mentally and therefore you're going to just do better because you're going to put more money into it and you're going to be more involved in it if that makes sense so when it comes to index funds and ETFs 
they are the winners all of the time except for the four percent in the world and i'm talking like these four percent that beat the market consistently are like unicorns they're the unicorns of the investing world like i'm talking warren buffett who's been doing it for decades and decades and decades um i'm talking ray dalio who has bridgewater like these people are very few and far between and as much as I think you are intelligent and amazing and incredible and smart unfortunately the probability that you will outperform an index fund is very low so I am team Vanguard meaning they are my favorite index fund or ETF provider because they provide lowest cost they were the first index fund to ever be created they're global um, they're always for the investor meaning they part like they consistently challenge the index fund market to have and provide low fee index funds and fees are really important because they kind of eat up everything in, in terms of your returns so I'm always team Vanguard it doesn't mean there aren't other really great ETF or index fund providers the other one in more so in the US is Fidelity. Uh, in Australia, Vanguard is the only index fund provider. If you go to Vanguard, you're gonna have a concentrated list of options because I can say, go invest in an index fund, an ETF, but it doesn't particularly help you because there are thousands of them. And so when it comes to what to actually invest in, with Vanguard, they have options that are already done for you in terms of your asset allocation that matches your risk tolerance and if that sounded like what the fuck did you just say it essentially just means when you decide what your risk tolerance is and what your goal is then you know what your asset allocation is and an asset is just a stock property bonds cash and how much of each asset is allocated in your portfolio so if you are a more aggressive or high growth investor, then you're gonna have about 90% stocks, even up to 100% stocks. If you're a conservative investor, it'll probably be about 60% bonds and 40% stocks. And if you're moderate, then it's kind of somewhere in the middle. And the percentages range, but essentially it's already done for you. So you don't have to worry about like readjusting your asset allocation, buying different things, buying different companies. Does this match my risk tolerance? Now what am I investing in? Has that grown more than this? It's already done for you and it is constantly holds that asset allocation throughout the entire period of time that you invest in. So you can invest in one thing, literally for the rest of your life if you wanted to. So Vanguard is my favorite. Fidelity is the alternative in the US. And you can invest in either index funds or ETFs. There isn't a whole lot of difference, but there is in terms of the action you take. You can, for example, you can automate index funds, which is super helpful. Um, and in fact, the stats around people that automate actually invest more regularly because it's already done for you and you don't have to manually go and do it. Uh, and therefore, because it's more regular and it's more consistent, they actually get uh, a more consistent and higher return. Because if you do it manually, you're like, okay, every single month I need to sit down from the computer and press buy in your broker account, right? But what if life gets in the way? 
to task? What if you forget? What if you don't set your alarm for that month? What if you're like, I will do it, but then don't do it. So doing it manually always has what? The human error element to it. And you're an amazing human and we have errors. Right? So automating things, which is what you can do with an index fund, is a great way to put it on autopilot where you don't have to think about it ever again. And you can just check in literally once a year and it's already done for you. So that's why I love index funds over ETFs, but ETFs in most cases, not not the case in Australia, but in other countries, um, you can invest from a a lower amount. And there are some more options, things like really specific emerging markets, really specific sectors of of the economy. But unless you're really clear about wanting to invest in them, then I wouldn't say go and do that because for the most part, a Vanguard fund is going to pretty much provide you everything that you want that matches you, your goals and your risk tolerance. With crypto, I love it. I think it's great. I think it disrupts the industry. I think having an unregulated market, even though it's becoming more regulated, is a fantastic way to invest in other things that aren't normal currency. I have a really high risk tolerance though, so I invest in things that I started investing in crypto about six years ago before anyone ever knew about it and I was told I was a fool, right? I invest a sizable chunk in crypto, but it's still less than 5% of my entire portfolio. Now for you, you might um, have a higher risk tolerance than that. And you might be like, well, I'm going to put in like 10% of my entire portfolio Um, and the rest be in, for example, stocks or an asset allocation of stocks and bonds. It depends on you. I love crypto. I think it's great. You have to be prepared for your crypto portfolio to drop by 50% even 80% because it happens. It's happened. It'll probably happen again. (laughs) What to invest in. Okay. So Vanguard have asset allocated. I'm going to open my computer right now and I'm going to tell you in each country what they are actually called. In Australia, they're called things like a high growth index fund or a growth index fund or um, a conservative fund or a moderate fund. It's that's literally what they're called. It's nothing more complicated than that. There are four options. You can start from $500, very low barriers to entry to get in. That's what they're called, conservative, balanced, high growth or growth. And that is going to match your risk tolerance. In the UK, they're called a little something different. They're called life strategy funds. And do not get this confused with target date funds. Target date funds are based on you selecting the year that you are intending on um, retiring, but it doesn't factor in your actual, actual risk tolerance. It just assumes a risk tolerance based on your age. And we don't do that here, right? We want to take like a more holistic view, but they're called, so they're called life strategy funds. Again, they're called moderate or growth or conservative or income, and we learned about income already, right? You can invest for income instead of growth. That's what they're called in the UK. In the US, there's a couple of different options because obviously the US is kind of a big player, lots of people, so you have many more options because you're like 33% of the global economy. So for the US, it's called life strategy in some options with Vanguard. So it's called Life Strategy 20% or Life Strategy 40%. 
or 60 or 80. And that just means 60 or 80% equity. Equity means shares or stocks instead of, and then the rest is bonds, which kind of like matches. Like if you're a high growth and you'd be, if you're a growth, you'd be like 80%. If you're a high growth, you'd be like 90% stocks or equity. They use these insane names that people don't understand. Equities means stocks or shares. So Fidelity is the other other option. I really like Fidelity as the alternative to Vanguard. Just so you know, the term like fees, expense ratios or ongoing charge, sometimes they're called, that is, is essentially the fee. And sometimes it's a really small percent and you wanna keep that like lower than 0.3, that is ideal. Now, I can't go through every single one because there are literally thousands of options, but ETFs have their equivalent of everything I just ran through. So you can invest in the ETF equivalent of that index fund. Okay, then you wanna think about before you actually go and invest in that thing is your tax and account structure. And this is like, sounds really boring, but it's kind of really important because it depends on how much money you're going to pay in tax and therefore what you're left with with return, right? So that's things like, in Australia, it's things like, do I max out my super fund or not? How much do I want to put in into an individual account and not take out? For example, if you hold your investments for longer than 12 months, then you get a massive capital gains discount on tax. If you max out your super fund, or if you're in the US, if you max out your 401k, then you can't take that money out. So it depends on your goals. If you are investing for long term, like um, 20 to 30 years, then you can max out your super fund, but it does depend on your current tax rate because you are taxed at a certain rate going in, but then not taxed on the return coming out. Also, just know that you don't control when you can take that super fund money out. The government dictates it. So at the moment, it's around, I think it's 69. They're going to change that soon to be higher. I don't intend on retiring at 69. I intend on retiring much earlier. So I actually don't max out my super fund. I want more control over my money. I don't like the high fees in super fund, but it is a great way to force you <laughs> into never being able to take that money out. So if that is if that feels empowering for you, then it's a really great option because you get great tax advantages. And that's the same with 401ks um, in the US as well. In the UK, you want to be making sure you use your ISA. This is something that the rest of the world doesn't really offer. So the fact that in the for Brits, you have an ISA, oh my God, like <laughs> I wish that other countries offered this because you get tax-free returns on your investment account inside your ISA. What? In the US, it's way, there's so many options. You can have a 401k in a traditional or Roth uh, tax structure. You can have an IRA in a traditional or Roth account structure. And that depends on how much you pay tax now and how much you pay tax later. And so that's gonna determine what is your income now and what you expecting your income to be later. So just because, for example, you can grow your investments in a tax-free way, that doesn't mean it's actually the best option for you. So understanding the tax implications and the account structure to actually invest in is then your next step. Before the final one, 
which is number seven, which is your broker. What broker to use? And this is usually the first question. What broker do I use? Without ever thinking, what do I want? What am I doing it for? What am I um, like risk tolerance? What do I actually therefore want to invest in? Most of the time it goes straight to broker. But if you go and open a Robinhood account and you're in the US, for example, and you haven't thought about opening a Roth IRA, you're missing out on potential massive benefits. If you are in the UK and you haven't thought about opening an ISA account, you're definitely missing out. In Australia, unfortunately, we don't have these really amazing account structures like Roths and um, IRAs and ISAs in the UK. We don't have those options. There is a bunch of other things that you can do, but there are a lot more complex and convoluted like trust accounts. I mean, you can do that globally, but essentially we don't have these tax advantaged accounts aside from maxing out your super. So what broker you use is actually the least important thing. It's not the most important factor. I don't like Robinhood, for example, because they really gamify it. They try and make you become a trader without having any experience as a trader. As I mentioned, I am a trader. And let me tell you, most people lose money trying to be a trader without having any actual strategy. So I don't love Robinhood. My favorite broker is Vanguard. But you can also open a low cost broker account. But again, I want to stress to you, it's the least important thing. What you want to be looking for is the lowest fees, particularly if you're buying ETFs and you're going to be doing it more regularly than the average person. When I say more regularly, I mean, if you're going to be buying ETFs once a month instead of once every three to six. So that's when the fees, like the brokerage cost of buying and selling actually does matter. And Ideally, we're not looking at the selling costs because for most people, you're hopefully doing this as a long-term thing because that's where you're going to get most of your profit or growth or returns. Like that's where your actual financial freedom comes from. So number seven is your broker account. It's not going to dictate your success as much as society likes to tell you that your broker really matters. It really doesn't because if you're making the decisions around what to invest in and if you're regularly investing, your broker's not the factor that makes or breaks you. The final thing is your ongoing plan. Now, investing is not something you do once. And I think for a lot of us, if we are going into this thinking, I'm gonna start investing, Obviously, that's the goal. But then what happens after that? Because you don't do it once. (laughs) You keep doing it. And this is where the number two that I was talking about, mindset, comes in. Because the most successful person that becomes a financially free investor that has this portfolio that supports them for everything they want and need is actually someone that has spent the dedication of investing regularly. And again, you can automate this. So it doesn't have to like take up your entire life. It's a very fast thing, but it's something that where you invest regularly. It's called DCA and that stands for dollar cost averaging. 
And essentially it just means you invest regularly. You keep investing, you invest whatever it is once a month, once a quarter, once every six months. For some of you, if you have higher cash amounts, then you might be investing once a week. So investing regularly, what is called your ongoing plan, is the cornerstone of you becoming successful. The, the Yes, you have to start, but ongoing is what is actually going to make you financially free. So whilst the first goal is you starting to invest, the actual goal is regularly investing. And that's the final step. And this is where your mindset comes in because let me tell you, being able to say regularly, I can regularly invest, I can set up a plan, I can regularly invest, that's fine, I can do that. And then actually regularly investing in the middle of a crash when the entire world is fear-mongering with all these headlines going, oh my God, like the stock market's crashing, it keeps losing money, and then you keep putting money into it. Let me tell you, that takes someone that has a really strong mindset and very few people can do it. And yet, that is where you actually make all of your money. And so hopefully you're starting to see how this all fits together and how this all comes together because your ongoing dollar cost averaging plan is the cornerstone of you becoming financially free. But unless you have all that other shit, it doesn't matter. And so this is why things like having a community that regularly supports you where you can like drop in and be like, um... (laughs) Okay, I'm freaking out. I just need like that little bit of support to be like, you can do it. This is the right thing. I needed that reminder because everyone's telling me it's ridiculous and everyone keeps telling me I'm going to lose money and everyone keeps telling me whatever. Most of the people telling you that are not investors, just FYI. So it's things like your actual plan to keep going. So in Investing Bootcamp, I have this thing called 100K Success Path. And that is getting you to your first 100K. Let me tell you, the first 100K is the hardest because it feels slow and you have to like go through all those first initial mindset things. The market's going up and down. You're like not seeing seeing it move much. It it feels just like, oh my God. (laughs) But once you hit that first 100K, you've weathered some volatility. You know, usually something's happened in that first year. Or that the first, you know, it might take you two or three or four years to get you to your first 100K. But you've gone through all of the steps. You've done it regularly enough by now in regularly investing that once you hit that first 100K, it starts becoming this like trajectory. You don't question. It becomes part of your identity. You keep going and you can weather whatever comes at you. And this is why having a community around you is so important. And this is why like having people that actually get it is so important. And this is this probably the biggest part of my program, Investing Bootcamp, because having the people around you to be there for you, to support you, to celebrate you, like that mindset consistently is what makes you successful. I see a lot of investors start and then two, three years in, they're like, oh, I put some money in like a couple of years ago, but I don't know. That's a very different investor to someone who actually has an ongoing plan 
and keeps going with it and it's literally part of their life they're like this is my plan and this is what i'm doing this is what i'm working towards those two people have a very different end success so you can be an investor and have two thousand dollars in the market that you put in three years ago but are you seeing how it's very different to someone who regularly invests keeps going has a plan <laughs> so my essentially my intention for everyone that comes through investing bootcamp is to get to that first 100k as quickly and as but also as safely like it isn't about like get rich quick tomorrow but it is about like okay how can we get you there um, so that you can be confident and competent at it and we're going to celebrate every step of the way and because once you get to that you kind of don't need us anymore but we still have members in there that have been there for a, a few years and they're way past their first 100k we have members that didn't even realize that they just sailed past their first 100k because you're kind of tracking it you know and it's kind of getting to like 20 and then it's 30 and then it's like 80 and then you do get to this point where you're like it becomes so second nature that you do forget to check and that's actually the best way that's actually the best outcome because if you're not checking your investments every day you're the most successful investor because this it's not the point of checking your portfolio every day because you're an investor not a trader so that is my intention for everyone that comes through the program so if you have been thinking of getting in we go through every single one of these things and support you to do and implement all of this including the very first thing which is money management because it's the cornerstone of of, of you being successful and then we get you to your first at least 100k and beyond that's the intention so that we know without a shadow of a doubt that you become either financially secure independent or free and they're kind of like the three levels right you can be secure and have like the base amount you can be independent and have some you know more more luxuries essentially and freedom is total and complete you can do whatever you want freedom so whatever the level is that you want to hit not everyone wants financial freedom and that's okay it's certainly my intention and it is for most people but that is the intention for everyone that comes through the program so i take you through all of these steps step by step over four weeks but you don't have to do it that fast it's a lifelong program which means that you can stay in it, you can take your time, you can keep going over it and going over it and going over it and keep asking questions. And we are supporting you the entire way. Once you hit that first 100K, it starts becoming exponential. Like, and this is what I really want everyone to understand, like with return, with the return of an investment portfolio, it doesn't happen the way that we think it is. It's not linear. It's not like this like gradual thing. It's, it's literally like, oh, it feels really painful, really, really slow. And then it just becomes like this exponential growth that happens so much faster than you could ever think that it does. But that doesn't happen unless you start and you literally put in these steps in place, right? A really big part is just start. You're not putting $200,000 in right now. For pretty much most of you here are not putting $200,000 in right now. Maybe you're starting with $500,000, $2,000. That's actually really insignificant. $2,000 is insignificant compared to the amount of money that you're going to make and grow over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Like tiny. And so 
that is why I encourage everyone to start. And that is why like people that start with investing bootcamp, they know that investment is insignificant compared to what they're going to make in money and return and freedom over the next five, 10, whatever years. So come and join us. If you have questions about investing bootcamp, send me a DM. All right. I'll see you soon. If you're not part of the Ms. Wealthy movement yet, make sure you head over to Instagram and hang out with me there. I am at Ms. Wealthy Official. And if you need anything else, head to MsWealthy.com and you can get all the info that you need. Find us on Facebook as well. And hey, I'd also love if you can drop a review on iTunes. It supports us massively and it means the freaking world.